Hi, welcome to the Arts Report for July 9th, 2014. Tonight on the show, I'll review Tempest at Bard on the Beach. We'll fill you in on the Dancing on the Edge Contemporary Dance Festival. I'll tell you about Mad Pride at Gallery Gachet. And we have Kurt Dahl from the New Pornographers to tell us about the Poppy Family Reunion. So stay tuned. Thanks for tuning in. We're going to jump right into it. The traffic just killed me. I'm on a 10 out of 10 on the road rage anger meter. But we're just going to jump right into it. Hello, Kurt? Sarah? Hey, you're there. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Modern technology at work. Yes. I know how to work the board. Do you? I do. You've been there long enough. You should know how bad. (laughs) Anyways, so I haven't really given an introduction, um, but the Poppy family are playing this weekend at the Catsalano Festival, which I think CITR is one of the sponsors. Mm-hmm. And so, and there's also a private show tonight. So I did sort of a survey at work of people of varying ages, and almost nobody had heard of the Poppy family. So for those who don't know... Wait, what, at what work? At, at my at own workplace. No, at my own workplace. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but I just thought, mm, like, I thought they were really big. Cause I well, knew they were them. at one time. Yeah, so tell me, like, who are they and wh- a little bit about their history as you know it. Well, Sarah, they are a Vancouver, British Columbia band. I think they started in about 1967. They made two records, one in 69, maybe one in the 70s. Uh, and they were, it consisted, band consisted of a guy named Terry Jacks, who was from Winnipeg originally, and he came out here. And then his 17-year-old girlfriend, Susan, who became his wife, Susan Jacks, and uh, a fellow that played tabla, which is uh, you know an East Indian drum and instrument, by the name of Satwant Singh. He's from Queensboro, which is New West. New West, hometown wow. boy. New West, represent. Um, <laughs> and Craig McCall played guitar. And then, so I think they made one record like that, and then Craig and Satwant went on and did other stuff. And they made one more record after that. They had a lot of hits on the radio, boy. They still do on CIL 650. They play them all the time. Is CIL still there? I don't think it's there anymore. It is. I listen to it almost every day. Oh, I'm okay. yeah, to I here. love senile. Oh, yeah. yeah. Senile? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of their hits? Which Way You Going, Billy? Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. Yeah. And then did they didn't do Where Evil Grows, did they? Yeah. Yeah. They did, yeah. And then there's a bunch of uh, ones that Susan sang, like, um, oh, God, I can't even remember the names of them now. I'm playing them tonight. <laughs> you better get it together. No, I know. It's, you know, the titles are uh, they're just written at the top of the page, and I have to read the rest of the music. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But then Terry went on and had one of the biggest uh, singles on his own because he retooled a Jacques Brel song. Called Seasons in the Sun, right? You know right. that. Jacques Brel, yeah. Yeah. So he that was a really, really big single for him afterwards. But yeah, they were they were um, they were sort of world famous. You know, when I read the ABBA book, because I did read the ABBA book, they talk about how when they started ABBA, that the template was the Poppy family. Right. Funny, the, right? 
Mm, I'm not an Abba fan. You know that. That's crazy talk, Sarah. I don't know. The Bee Gees? We'll have to duke it out. Like, the Bee Gees to me are just... Anyways, let's not even get into I love the Bee Gees. Don't get get me wrong. Yeah. Come on, how can you not like Abba? That's just crazy I don't know. It's just... I don't like it. There's no hooks. There's no hooks. Sarah, they're the biggest hooks ever. No, no. I'm really mad at you now. Yeah, I'm really mad at you, too. (laughs) Um, okay, so but yeah. so that's a little bit of background on them, and then yeah. and then they kind of from there, you know, didn't continue that much. Although she did a solo album as well. She did a couple, yeah. I think they just sort of disintegrated, and you know, I think Terry became um, like a big. Uh, didn't he clean up like oh, not Pender Harbor, but one of those up the Sunshine Coast or somewhere? He did a bunch of uh, sort of hippie kind of stop the mill from. Pouring all this stuff into the an environmentalist, yeah, That's an cool. environmentalist dude. Yeah. So tell me, like, in you're now on the cover of the Georgia Street this week, and you talked a little bit, which I thought was a good article by Adrian Mack, but um, how much you loved them as a kid and what a big influence there were on you. So talk a little bit about that. All right, I will if you want me to. I do. So, like, uh, you know, I told I can't remember who. These are like the first songs I ever heard on the radio. You know, because they were on when I when I started. Because I had an older brother that always had the radio on. Right. So just so ingrained in my in in my memory bank. You know, I I, it's, I, I, I didn't even really have to learn them mm-hmm. <laughs> because I just knew them. You know, I've heard them so many times. I probably heard them before I heard the Beatles. You know. Yeah. Because those songs were big when I was a little kid. You know, and then I think for some of the other guys that are a little bit younger, like Josh, you know, he discovered them later when he started to buy records again, and he was like, I wonder what this band is like. Mm-hmm. And then you get you get it home, or, and you realize it's kind of dark and weird, but it's really poppy at the same time. Yeah, it's poppy, but then it has that, the tablas and stuff. So... Well, the lyrics can be pretty dark, too. Yeah. Like, given us an example... I'm not going to start quoting lyrics. They're on your show. <laughs> okay. Um, did you really call up the Canadian Music Hall of Fame and threaten to commit suicide if they didn't? How did you hear that? It's in the article in the Georgia Street. Oh, shit. It's like okay. the top of the article that you Sorry. threatened suicide. Uh, you know, I, I, I emailed the, the Juno committee. Okay. Because I just remember them, like, inducting like, some crappy band from Toronto and going, I can't even believe it. This is the biggest, they had the biggest single in, like, North America, you know, and, and, and all of these other singles that followed, and they're not even in the Juno Hall of Fame. They just been, they just put Triumph in there, right? I like Triumph, but... You, you, come on. Um, it was a poppy family. You know, well, if they were from comparing, Toronto, it would have been... It's comparing goats and We're comparing cats. Bee Gees with Abba here, aren't we? <laughs> well... Uh, but, yeah, if they would have been a Toronto band, they would have been uh, right. in the general hall a long time ago. Yeah, I did threaten to commit suicide if they didn't. Mm-hmm. But, but I never didn't... got a response. I don't know if it's that in the article. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah, so tell us about how... So you, I think you told me, like, this had sort of been in the works for a long time, this idea of a reunion with kind of a backup band of Vancouver musicians. So whose brainchild was that? I think it's Tom's. I mean, both. I think you know it probably started with me going. You know, Susan Jacks lives in town again. We got to do something with her. And him going, I know what we're going to do. You know, it was probably one of those things. Mm-hmm. Who's Tom for those who don't know? Sorry, Tom and Selmy. He had the um, 
well, of course, he was in a very famous band called Slow. The, the, the creators of grunge? And then he was in a band called Copyright. And then after that, he ran the Waldorf. He started the Waldorf, which was a hotel down at Hastings Street that had a lot of really cool shows. Mm-hmm. Now he has the Fox Theater. The Fox Theater, yeah. And I don't so know. It's kind of Tom that put it all together. Yeah. He, he did the all the legwork, you know. Yeah. They often tap you for musical projects, don't they? Like, mm-hmm. I was thinking you probably played that cool New Year's party. Yeah, that's right. I did. Yeah, I don't know if it was cool, but I, I played it. Yeah. Tom and I get along really well. Like, we sort of see eye to eye on a lot of things. So. Did you go into the Fox before they took it over? I didn't. I, he kept asking me to come up and look at it, but I didn't. But I saw the pictures. Yes. Well, I interviewed him on this show about it, and I looked for the clip last night to play the clip, but it's been lost. Um, but, yeah, he talked about just how it was a porno theater, and just mm. when they went in there, it smelled so horrible, and there was, like, cum sprayed everywhere. And it was on the radio? Is this, are we on the radio, or are we not on the radio? Oh, we're on the radio. Oh, My mom is listening, and Leonardo from Brazil. Hi, Leonardo. Hi, Mom. <laughs> That's Jane to you. Um... So, okay. And, and I saw those photos with the black light. Yeah. 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 It was scary. Yeah, it was pretty gross. Um, so tonight, what, or tonight, it's a, sort of a private show as a kind of a dress rehearsal, I guess. What can we expect from the set? Like, what is it like? What's it been like for you guys to play with them? It's fun. Fun. They're nice people. Yeah. Now, from Saskatchewan as well. Yes, I I knew that, like you. And I was also reading about her kidney transplant, that she had been doing very poorly and was out of music, and she got a kidney transplant from her brother, and it's allowed her to... Her brother, Billy. Billy. Wow. So that's there a... you go, Billy. That's a huge thing, eh, to be sort of... I've known people that have had those kidney transplants, and they're just at the brink of death, and then they're given the second lease on life, and, and she's been able to play music again. Yeah, she's pretty lucky, I mean, you know... I don't think kidneys are the easiest thing to find unless you go to, like, Mexico or something. <sighs> yeah, right. And you're, you're a Piesty guy, is that right? Why are you asking me that? I don't know. Just curious. Is that a bad question? Are you talking about my symbols? Yes. <laughs> Do you That's the weirdest question anybody's ever asked. Is this a modern drummer uh, interview? Or? Yes. I'm, I'm asking that on behalf of modern drummer. I think you're underrepresented in modern drummer. I think I was in there once. You should be in there more than once. Because aren't you like one of the best drummers in the world? Is that what people say? Todd and I say that. That's crazy talk. It's true. So tell us about your symbols. Do you actually have a formal formal kind of, like, uh, what's that word? Contract. What is it? When An endorsement. Uh, endorsement. Yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about my symbols, yeah, I do. I, <laughs> I, dr- I have drums, too, though. They give me drums. It's funny, when you're a young, when you're a kid and you need gear, you have to go buy it, you know? I remember going, like, and spending $2,400 on a, on a drum set when I was, like, 19 or 20, like, spending my scholarship money. Scholarship? And, uh, and, and buying this expensive drum kit, like, and now they give you drums, and I, like, kind of don't want them anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you have, like, 10 sets of drums already in the basement, and you're like, I don't really need another set. Yeah. You, and so what do you like about Piesty cymbals? You're really onto this Piesty thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, I like them. They're great cymbals. They sound great. They're a little bit top, a little more high-end if you want to get technical. I don't really, it's just for rock and roll. They yeah. cut through. What I like about your drumming is actually 
like that you kind of keep to the lower drums like I don't know anything about drums but do you know what I mean like you play no. the higher ones but you, you do sort of a bit more tribal low end kind of and I like that oh that's nice of you to say thank you <laughs> okay thank you, Sarah. you're welcome well I think I think that's about it do you have a request of the poppy family that I'm going to play right now um can I pick anyone yep if it's yeah, I play Beyond the Clouds. I think that's a pretty good representation of what they sound like. Okay, let's see. Well, Tom and Tommy says hi. Hi, Tom and Tommy. Hi. Oh. I'm on a radio show right now. This is fun. Okay, you guys. Well, I'll see you soon. We'll talk hey. about the Bee Gees and, and ABBA. We're going to have a, a serious talk about that. Hey, can Tom give a shout-out to his homies? He wants to know. Yes, come on. Okay. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Just was hoping to give a shout-out to my homies. Who, who are your homies? Well, I don't know, just in general. <laughs> Everybody? Just, uh, yeah, any of, my homies know who they are. Yes. Yeah, are you um, coming out tonight? I am, yes. Good, and, awesome. And I think it's obviously going to be a huge event on the weekend, Catalano Festival. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty busy. Yes, and yeah. you're the guru of event planning for Vancouver. <laughs> Uh, I'm an event planner, yeah, mm-hmm. like a wedding planner, kind of. <laughs> but you also like opera. I did. Huh? Did I? Uh, you also like opera, didn't I? See you at Don Carlo. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're doing something with the opera, so that's going to oh. be really exciting. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that down the road. Okay, sounds good, sir. Okay, see you later. Okay. Thanks, Bye-bye. Tom. Bye bye. Okay, I guess I guess they hung up on me. So this is the Poppy Family Beyond the Clouds. Th- Thank you, Kurt Dahl, for phoning in. And we'll be right back to talk to people from Dancing on the Edge Contemporary Dance Festival. So here's the Poppy family. We'll be right back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM.
donuts, each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. Okay, we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. That was the Poppy Family. Wow, what a great song, Beyond the Clouds. It's like my favorite song now. Um, and now we're going to talk about Dancing on the Edge 2014. It's a festival of contemporary dance. And I'm just going to jump right into it. Olivia C. Davies. Uh, I got a great email from her, and I was like, yes, I want to talk to her about her dance. And we've got her right on the phone right now. Let's see. Hello, Olivia? Hi, Sarah. Hi, yay, thanks. Thank you so much for having me on the air. Oh, it's great to have you on the air, and let's just talk about your dance. So I'm going to talk about the festival as a whole a little bit more later, but tell us about yourself first. Wonderful, happily. Okay, so I am an independent dance artist of mixed heritage. I hail from Ottawa. I've been working as an independent dance artist in Vancouver since 2011, and I weave stories of transformation through contemporary Aboriginal dance and theater, um, meaning I will be showing a contemporary Aboriginal dance theater piece um, called Conversation at the Dancing on the Edge Festival this Friday, uh, July the 11th at 9 p.m. So tell me about the story. Like It, it looked from the... Um publicity stuff that you'd sort of discovered your heritage somehow through dance or tell me about that process absolutely so um i would say that it uh, it kind of all started with a theater workshop actually um hosted by urban ink productions uh out of the uh, woodwards building so back in 2012 i participated in a workshop called the arrivals project and in that process, um, all the participants were invited to research their ancestry, um, choose one uh, particular person that they were most interested in kind of finding, uh, finding a bit more out about and, um, and, and learning what the, um, the critical moment in their lives were, was. Um, in my case, I chose to uh, research my grandfather, who um, at the time I knew little to nothing about his past. Um, and then in these last two years, uh, interviews with family members, uh, reading old letters, um, looking at old photographs, and, and, and really, really getting myself into, uh, into the work, I found out that he was an early Canadian radio legend who sang on, a, on uh, the first broadcast of the CBC. Uh, his name was Dave Davies. He passed away when I, was, when I was quite young. I didn't get a chance to hear his stories firsthand. Um, and so that became the inspiration for the, the, the piece conversation. Um, my own ancestry has, um, has more, more roots than I care to even <laughs> quantify right now. Um, and I'm still learning what all of those roots are. 
um, but through this process, I focused in on one ancestor, and uh, and believe that um, I've I've really done honor to his spirit now by bringing um, by bringing him back to life on the stage. So, when you talk about contemporary Aboriginal dance, what does that mean compared to the traditional forms of dance that we see? Certainly. Um, so interestingly enough, we had a wonderful discussion at the Fire Hall Arts Centre before the uh, Native Girl Syndrome, um, where uh, choreographers uh, Star Marenko, uh, Michelle Olson, uh, myself, and uh, two other women were, were in discussion about that. And, and what does that mean with Donna Spencer and the, and the group um, that had gathered? Uh, what, we, what we came to the conclusion was that... Um, Traditional dance forms, um, Aboriginal traditional dance forms, tend to imply um, uh, a structure and um, a a passing down of uh, work, um, techniques specifically, that uh, that doesn't necessarily come to the stage um, and is is traditionally, is most often kept kept within a family uh, setting. Uh, contemporary Aboriginal, on the other hand, does have the um, intention of, of bringing uh, bringing audiences into the work um, by presenting them on stage. And uh, a few of the the qualifiers, I guess, we we managed to come up with were um, the idea that there's uh, an intention of creating um, creating work that somehow uh, drives or shows a connection to the landscape um, both within us and uh, the landscape that we are creating the work in. So um, in, in my case, uh, with the work conversation, I'm working um, to really dive into um, processes of ceremony and, um, and, other, and other kind of connective tissues that bring, um, that bring me to a point where I can uh, really feel the essence of um, of the, the the rootedness of my work, and um, why I'm why I'm why I'm on this search, anyways. Um, being adopted, not having known my first family, mm-hmm. it's it's a, an important part of my life right now uh, to to know what those what those links are and why um, why they're so important to me today. That's interesting when you're talking about traditional dance. That's something I guess I didn't know that it was like a formal tradition of being passed down and so on um, within families. Is is that what you said? Yeah, and there's actually there's um, there is a company in Vancouver, uh, the Dancers of Damalahamet, um, and they work um, they work uh, as a as a traditional. Um, as a traditional company, um, but they are, in fact, uh, um, the, the bulk of the company is uh, as a family themselves. And um, they've been granted permission from the elders of their community to share um, some, of, some of the work that, is, that, that was, um, was shut down um, during, you know, the, the time of, of cultural um, appropriation and, and, uh, and throughout, I guess, I, I won't speak too too much uh, towards their company because because um, 
they can speak more of it <laughs> themselves. Mm-hmm. But essentially, um, uh, they are uh, they are bringing new traditional works to the stage, um, but that still have a, a very strong basis in um, in the stories that are told of their community. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not so dancers of Dama Muhammad. Yeah, so storytelling, tradition, and I guess I always thought it was about kind of raising power or creating a trance-type state, and you sort of spoke to that in terms of your own work of ceremonial. So tell me about that aspect of your work. Definitely. Okay, so in the um, in the work conversation, I, I did have um, a pretty clear intention that what I wanted to bring um, to the stage was the aspect of embodiment that I, in, uh, I won't say in a trance-like state, but definitely in a focused meditative state, will be bringing, um, bringing forth uh, a, a, an energy that's, that's beyond my own. So by making the intention of, of bringing my ancestors into the, into the stage, I'm definitely taking a moment to um, set the space um, taking into account that there are four directions, um, uh, really uh, taking a moment to uh, say a silent prayer before getting onto the space to set those four directions, uh, clearly delineating um, what landscape will be used uh, for the ceremony. And then, I mean, and then in the, I would almost say in the opposite end of it is the, is the ecstatic part of, of the joy of ceremony and, um, and bringing the full power of movement and uh, connection to body, mind, and spirit um, into my authentic, um, into the authentic movement that I'm, that I'm presenting as well. So in moments where you feel like you've kind of maybe lost yourself and succeeded in bringing in that thing that is greater than yourself. What's that experience like for you? And maybe what effect does it have on people watching? Well, it definitely is a humbling experience. Um, It's one where, as all the sounds and lights of of the world uh, that we live in kind of quiet, and, and there's just that one flickering light left. Um, I actually, I visually represent that through a projected image in my piece where um, a single flame is flickering. Um, and it, to me, that's that moment of finding uh, the serenity and the calm and um, that connection to my to the land I live on, to my ancestors, to the generations that will come after me, um, and the seven generations before me, my um, my ancestors' dream of who I am today. Now, the experience of of the audience as I express that, I believe, is um, my intention anyway, is to bring about, um, if if only for a moment, a cathartic shift in their own um, understanding of uh, how we are all um, but a single flame, mm-hmm. <laughs> a light for just a moment in time yeah. before uh, the winds, uh, you know, blow us back into the stars. Yeah, well, just even as you talked, like this idea of imagining, dreaming your ancestors, or I guess dreaming your per 
what's the progeny yes. that, that we are our ancestors <laughs> dream yeah and or they're dreaming of us or it's just like wow there's going to be people that come after us and yeah no it's I mean just in my own experience now having seen a lot of arts things it's there's always something that touches you in a certain way when the the art gets to that level right of to the next level um of what you're talking about a cathartic shift and so whatever that is for people what they need out of the moment I think comes to them I, I do have to I mean I would definitely say that my experience working with um with some of the incredible contemporary original choreographers who are in this festival have given me a sense of grounding in uh, knowing that, yes, we can bring this to the stage. Yes, we can um, bring the ideas and um, the connective, those connective ideas to land and ancestry and, uh, and, and more of a... Um, more of a, a, a deeper awareness or a more global awareness that, that what we're doing as artists is um, is an important part of the storytelling tradition that that we carry mm-hmm. within us, that these stories are, are asking to be told so that, oh, maybe there is a moment of recognition there. Yeah. <laughs> and the story can continue. So tell me a little bit about your involvement with the festival. Sure. I um, I would actually say my involvement with the festival goes back to my first year in 2011. I was a volunteer um, with the uh, with the Fire Hall Arts Center. At that point, I knew, oh wow, one of these days I'm going to show in this festival. <laughs> and for the last um, for the last few years now, I've been um, uh, I've been a, uh, a volunteer usher with the Fire Hall Arts Center. Now, in the last year, having worked intensively um, in solo uh, studio exploration on this piece, I, I was I was pretty confident that um, that I had uh, the opportunities now, and the stars were aligning, so to speak, that I could um, that I could show as an emerging artist in the edge up. Uh, portion of the festival. Now, the Edge Up portion of the festival is a one-night-only um, event, and there are three other um, young choreographers uh, who are presenting it in the show as well. I think it's a real honor um, to be involved in, in such an incredible nationally uh, regarded, internationally regarded um, dance festival, um, and to have the opportunity to show my work in, um, you know, in a first-class theater with excellent uh, production, lighting, sound, um, all, all those details that as an independent artist, you're, you're sometimes kind of just wearing all those hats at once. <laughs> so anything you want to see at the festival? Oh, my goodness, yes. Um, so this evening I'm going to be seeing the uh, three-corner hat that's being presented by Mascal Dance. Uh, that's over at Chapel Arts. I think they run they run straight through till Friday as well. I've got a program <laughs> in um, front of me. Yes, here. I'm looking at the um, website too. Now, is that Carissa Berry? That's oh, three cornered hats. Three cornered hat. Yeah, they're um, so that's a part of the the Mascal Dance Company. And what um, what my interest in that is actually uh, one of the dancers, Darcy McMurray. She runs the Full Circle Arts Pilates Studio. And through a work exchange with her studio, I've 
I've been granted the space to create um, this solo. So for the last year, I've been working in Darcy's Pilates studio after hours um, in order to bring my piece to life. So I'm really excited to see what she's doing in the Three Corner Tat tonight. Um, I would also highly recommend Edge 2, uh, which has performances on Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Fire Hall Arts Centre, and as well as Saturday, 7 p.m. at the Fire Hall Arts Centre. And there you will see um, the Starwind Dance Project's performance of Spine of the Mother. Yes, and also not to be missed is your own performance. Friday, July 11th at 9 p.m. I'll be there, Edge Up. So you're with a few other dancers at the Fire Hall Arts Centre. And also not to be missed, and it seems a yearly event, the Rec Beach Buto Kokoro Dance. Absolutely. don't. Yes, please don't let me forget that. That 11.45 a.m. on Saturday, July 12th, I plan on being there. It should be an incredible performance. Yes. Uh, always is. Yes. I've been, I unfortunately, I'm going camping, so I can't go, but I'd love to go. They've got a great website, www.dancingontheedge.org. Thank you so much, Olivia. It's been great to talk to you. Now, you sent me um, a link to some music that you incorporated into the sound design of your piece. And is it Tom Hamilton? No, sorry. Uh, Tom Hamilton is oh, the, the photos. photographer. Yeah, um, but the music is by Dega Sound. Okay. Uh, brothers uh, Ben and Josh out of the Sunshine Coast. They do play regularly in Vancouver. They're also on the um, outdoor music festival circuit this summer. Uh, incredible friends from long, long time ago. Um, I'm deeply inspired by their music. It, uh, it's definitely got that um, the, the pushing rhythm of the bass and the drum that um, that really bring bring me to life. So I'd uh, be happy if you could share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at this. I think it's a song. Dagahead's Land in Motion. Land in Motion. Yes. Okay. I'm going to try to play it. I can't guarantee it, but um, I'm going to try to play it and then we're going to come back and talk about the tempest but thank you so much it was great to talk to you and i hope to meet you on friday night you're welcome sarah thank you thank and you. i wish uh, everyone a wonderful festival do get it to see contemporary dance in this city we've got a world of opportunity out there excellent thank Thanks, you so sarah. much okay take care bye-bye Bye. so that was olivia c davies from the Dancing on the Edge Contemporary Dance Festival, and this is some music that she incorporates into her dance. It's called Dega Sound, by Dega Sound, Land in Motion. So let's see if I can get it going here. It sound, ooh, sounds excellent. So we'll be right back to talk about the Tempest, Bard on the Beach.
Catalano Street Party, Vancouver's biggest music and arts festival, is back July 12th from 11 a.m. until 9 p.m. Come on down to West Fourth Avenue for over 50 great bands, including Grapes of Wrath, Ben Sinister, Humans, Lightning Dust, and a special performance by the Poppy Family, starring Susan Jacks with members of the New Pornographers, Black Mountain, and Destroyer. Over 40 tasty food carts, hundreds of Vancouver's best vendors, and the new Desjardins Family Zone will highlight the day. Catalano Street Party, Saturday, July 12th. Brought to you with love by the merchants of West 4th Avenue. Hi, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Arts Report. We're heading into the final 15 minutes, but I want you to stay tuned for All Ears, coming at 6. So, wow, it was a pretty exciting show so far. Um, and now I want to talk about The Tempest. So Bard on the Beach is this huge outdoor Shakespearean festival that happens every year. And so everybody knows about it because it's just constant media about it if you live in Vancouver. But it's this year's their 25th anniversary. And I was thinking I've actually lived here in Vancouver 25 years and this is the first time I've ever gone. So I went Sunday night with some friends um, and it was really great and I'm really glad I went. So I'm going to tell you about the Tempest. Um, but, you know, they have all the big tents, and you can buy your snacks, and there's porta-potties. I, I don't know why I'm talking about this first, but in the break, I was like, I have to pee so bad, but I don't want to use the porta-potties. But then if I wait, I'm just going to die before I get home. And my friend, who's a Virgo, I kind of just do what she says because she always knows what to do. She's like, just use them, they're fine. And they were fine, and there was a nice attendant that directed me into the porta potty and then they had hand sanitizer and everything. So don't be afraid. Although I hear um, the porta potties at Theatre Under the Stars are terrible, so do avoid those. But um, there's a few plays on, A Midsummer Night's Dream, The Tempest, Cymbeline, which I guess is one of Shakespeare's like lesser-known plays, or at least I don't know it, and Equivocation, which is sort of in the spirit of. So they do try to do every year like a more contemporary play in the spirit of, you know, the classics. But I have no interest in that because I'm a purist. I love Shakespeare, and I was very excited. Um, I think it, you know, I've seen the Scottish play a few times. I've seen Midsummer Night's Dream as a kid, but it's the first one um, that I went to and really got it, really got Shakespeare. Um, so I don't know what to say other than to just start talking about it. It's this beautiful kind of tent dome thing that you sit in. But when I went to get my ticket, I was, you know, just got it at the door. And she's like, well, we only have the very front row or the very last row. And I said, well, I want the very front row. And she's like, well, it's a bit intense. I was like, bring it on. I can handle intensity, and I'm so glad I sat in the front row because I got to see everything. And, you know, you, I had this sort of window through the back where I could see out into the sky, and it was very beautiful and peaceful and interesting as the light changed as it started to get darker. So I thought the Tempest, like being, you know, it's called the Tempest, I thought it would be kind of dark and stormy, but it's actually not. Um, it's a very, um, there's some important themes about family dynamics and betrayal and so on. It's actually quite light with a lot of comedic touches. And in the end, it's really a, a, a play that's full of beautiful themes of forgiveness and restoration and beauty and freedom and love. And so it's, I found it quite uplifting, actually. 
And I likened it to, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, like, it's the kind of Shakespeare's, like, well, he did it first, but, you know, the Magic Flute by Mozart, it's kind of Shakespeare's Magic Flute in terms of some of the um, esoteric aspects of it that you can get sort of in a, in a deeper reading of it. But so the, just the story in a nutshell, um, a massive storm rages on the open sea, which, which shipwrecks Alonso, king of Naples, and his court. Um, so the storm was not natural. It was caused by a magician, Prospero, who lives on a nearby island with his teenage daughter So the, and his earthly slave, Caliban. Um, so Prospero had been a duke of Milan, but he was betrayed by his brother, um, Antonio, and they shipped Prospero and his daughter off to this island. So they'd been living in poverty and exile on this island. Um, and so then when the ship goes by with, with the king and Prospero's brother, Prospero creates this huge tempest to shipwreck them and bring them to him on the island where then there's a sense that he's going to wreak revenge um, and so Prospero is a magician. He has his earthy slave, so this this tortured kind of beast-like slave that carries wood and um, does what he says. And he also has a magical servant, Ariel, and she's one of the main characters. So it follows these different storylines of, um, you know, Ariel, she's the magical servant. She struggles. She's bound to him. And she sort of resents it, but she does his work. So he's saying, this is the last thing we have to do together, is is sort of get revenge on my relatives. And when that's done, I'll free you. So that kind of motivates her. Um, the slave is very angry, and and he also struggles with this need for freedom and helplessness. And, and so there's a lot of magical stuff around him. His mother was a witch and so on. So it's just... It's just Fantastic, And so the shipwreck crowd are quite funny. That's where a lot of the comedy comes from, different buffoons, and two sisters, two sisters of the court, and they are truly hilarious. Um, what are their names? They did an amazing job. They had us all in stitches. And um, what were they? Uh, Trinkula and Stefana. And they kind of get drunk as, as they, all the... You know, they kind of wander the island in a shipwrecked state. All these magical things are happening that Prospero's behind, but they don't realize it yet. Um, anyways, I won't go into, like, long detail because, um, you know, y you just have to see it. I think, but what struck me, I guess, was just, you know, the beautiful text. 400 years later, we're packed into this theater, children, old people, middle-aged people, all enjoying some of the most beautiful words ever written in the English language. I wrote down tons of stuff, but forgot my notebook. Um, but just, you know, just things like, this is the stuff dreams are made of. That's from The Tempest. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, Prospero was an interesting character. And if you know anything about Elizabethan magic at the time, this character was really... Um, based on a sort of typical Elizabethan magician. So um, Ariel is an example. So a magician of the time would, you know, the idea, whether they really did it or not, I mean, was to uh, harness the energy of elementals or spirits and get them to do the magical work. So Ariel was like a fire elemental. 
whereas Caliban the slave represented an earth elemental. So they did his will, and they created the magic for him, and he was the master of them in kind of a dominating patriarchal way. Um, and so the other storyline that happens is his beautiful daughter. I mean, she was just beautifully done, uh, Miranda. And she she sort of falls in love with the king of Naples' son, who's also shipwrecked. And, and Prospero sort of conspires these events so that they fall madly in love and get together. And there's this wonderful scene where uh, they get married, and he sh- he sort of kind of pulls away the veils between the worlds, and all these fairies come out, and it's this wonderful, I don't know, whimsical scene. And so that would represent kind of the uh, conjunctio in alchemical terms, the, the, the marriage of the masculine and feminine, right, to create a new energy. So that was really beautiful. And in the end, he does give up his magical powers and forgives his relatives and is restored to them. And the married couple are happy. And so it's really beautiful. It's this idea that he had all this earthly, dark power, and then he... he he gives it up. Um, so, and, and his, his magic is represented by his staff and his book. So these are his tools of magic. And so in the very famous um, monologue, he, he, he sort of speaks out to the spirits that he's had under his thumb. And, and he does love them in a way, and he sort of wishes them well or acknowledges them. And then he restates all of the power that he has. And then at the end, he, he gives it up in these words of saying, I'm going to bury my staff and, and drown my book. So when it's done properly, right, it's this starts off gently, this building of power, and then at the end, gently again, as he gives it up. So I've been waiting for this the whole play. And the actor, Prospero, like thinking about it now, he was very good, but he was like, there was almost no darkness in him at all. And I think to have a really good, rich reading of the play, it would have been better. He was sort of magnanimous and kindly throughout. And I think it would have been better if he had been a little bit darker and then his transformation sort of into the light at the end would have been more dramatic. So then I've been waiting for this monologue. And then he did it. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the most boring, flat reading of the monologue possible. And as he was, he was getting to the good part where he should be raising the power. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's saying it so flat. So I printed it off and I'm going to read it because I figured as flatly as I read it, it's not going to be as flat as he read it. And I just think it's so beautiful. So I'm going to say it and then I'm going to indulge me. You can turn it off right now. Um, and then. And then we're going to go because All Ears is on at six. So this is the monologue. I'm saying it. I'm re-saying it um, because Prospero did a terrible job. Still, you should go see The Tempest at Bard on the Beach and check out the other plays at Bard on the Beach. And you can check that out at bardonthebeach.org. Okay, so here it is. Ye Ye elves of hills, brooks, standing lakes, and groves, and ye that on the sands with printless foot do chase the ebbing Neptune and do fly him when he comes back. You demi-puppets that by moonshine do the sour green ringlets make, whereof the you not bites, and you whose pastime is to make midnight mushrooms that rejoice to hear the solemn curfew. By whose aid, weak masters though ye be, I have bedimmed the noontide sun, 
called forth the mutinous winds, and twixt the green sea and the azured vault set roaring war. To the dread rattling thunder have I given fire, and rifted Jove's stout oak with his own bolt. The strong base promontory have I made shake, and by the spurs plucked up the pine and cedar. Graves at my command have waked their sleepers oped, and led him forth by my so potent art. But this rough magic I hear abjure, and when I have required some heavenly music, which even now I do, to work mine end upon their senses that this airy charm is for, I'll break my staff, bury its certain fathoms in the earth, and deeper than did ever plummet sound, I'll drown my book. Yay for me. Okay, that's The Tempest. Now, All Ears is in in two minutes. I was going to talk about Gallery Gachet, so I'm quickly going to just bring it up. It's, uh, I just can't do it justice. I'm going to have to talk about it next week. Um, but it's a cooperative of artists supporting mental health. The show's opening, the opening Saturday night. It's called Mad Cartographies, Wilderness of the Soul and Mad Pride. I'll be doing something on this next week. Um, but I was going to play Joy Division because, you know, thinking about musicians with mental illness, Ian Curtis killed himself, I think, due to, obviously, due to depression. Nobody who's not depressed kills himself. And they wrote a song called Disorder disorder he had a disorder so i'm going to leave you with that joy division will be back next week between 5 and 6 p.m so please tune in and thank you to our lovely guests for tonight keep listening to citr 101.9 fm